was. Well, this morning, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, I appreciate so much Matt Richardson reading our scripture for us this morning during our time of worship. Looking forward to Friday, we're expecting, uh, we're expecting good weather, we're expecting a huge crowd uh, based off the number of shares that we have seen on Facebook, we're expecting about 20,000 people to show up. So we're needing help. We need you to help. We need you to show up and help. Uh, and it's going to be a great time again. That's Friday at Matthews Park from 5 until 7. Uh, volunteers that are setting up, spreading eggs, and cooking will need to be there around 3.30. And again, just a reminder, next Sunday, um, the 8.30 service will have more available seats than the 10.30 service. We'll have, we'll have room for everybody in the 10.30 service. It may just be out in the parking lot. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. We'll be bringing in chairs and setting up in the lobby, and we also have the ability to uh, uh, live stream out into the Family Life Center if we needed to. Um, but if you uh, would like to avoid the crowd, um, next Sunday the 8.30 service will be the identical same service as the 10.30 service next week. Well, for several weeks we were in a sermon series that we called uh, the journey, and then we transitioned in that journey uh, to a denominational worldwide focus taken from a book uh, that is called Water for the Way. And what we've been doing is, is we've been joining a journey with other Nazarenes all, all around the world, tens of thousands of Nazarenes, on this journey of unity through the Lent season, uh, leading us to this Holy Week. Uh, leading us to the cross, but most importantly, leading us to our celebration next Sunday of an empty tomb. But this Sunday is Palm Sunday, which means it's the sixth week of Lent. Uh, Palm Sunday is always, for those of you that don't know or may not understand what Palm Sunday is about, Palm Sunday is always the Sunday uh, before Easter that basically recalls uh, focuses on an event that happens in the New Testament that is called the triumph, triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, where he was there uh, greeted with like a hero's welcome as he entered into Jerusalem there, and people uh, would have been waving palm branches. That's the reason, uh, reasoning for calling it Palm Sunday. But Palm Sunday also marks the beginning of what many people refer to as Holy Week, a week that ends with the brutal beating and crucifixion of Jesus Christ on the cross and His burial in a borrowed tomb. And triumphal entries, uh, just so you know, were nothing new to the people of that culture and nothing new to the people of that time, uh, especially to the people that were gathering there in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and to be a part of this festival 
uh, that they would be having for Passover there in Jerusalem. Uh, while they were there, they probably had seen uh, some, some processionals come into town there. While they were there, there were uh, probably military heroes and government leaders and officials that would have been making their way into Jerusalem for this big event, this big festival that was taking place. Uh, there would have been people there that would have been familiar with uh, conquering kings and war heroes and generals and people like that who would come in uh, to town in, in a parade-like setting and they would celebrate their victories and celebrate uh, you know, how awesome they were. They would also often come into town riding on horseback or in chariots. But Jesus' triumphal entry that we're talking about today was, was different than that. And I just want to give you a kind of a summary of what we're going to be talking about this morning uh, from the book uh, that's called Water for the Way, the actual book that uh, our pastors all across the denomination are using for this sermon series. Uh, this book was written by Gabriel Benjamin. Now, I just want to read to you what he wrote about this event. It says, these celebrities from the war fronts are celebrated for their strategy and power to end lives. And they wear their war stripes with great pride. Then there is that moment when one comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is at the gate. This triumphant king does not take lives. Instead, he lays down his life in order to to give life. In him is the true triumph over death. He reversed the curse of death, accomplishing what no one else could do. And so you see what's taking place here is that Jesus uh, is once again pointing out in his time here in ministry, his time here on this earth, he's pointing out and making an example once again that the kingdom of God This kingdom of heaven that he's been talking about the entire time that he's been here, the kingdom of heaven does not look like the kingdoms of earth. They're not the same, and they don't look the same. The kingdom of God is not one. The kingdom of God is not inherited. It is is not gained through violence or through the death of others, but only through the lone sacrifice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ and in His resurrection. You see, His kingdom, God's kingdom, this kingdom of heaven, is not a kingdom that excludes people from Him, but instead it's one that welcomes all with mercy and with grace. It's the kingdom that people are unknowingly, as Jesus is making this procession into Jerusalem that day, and the crowds have gathered and, and they're cheering. It's this kingdom that people are unknowingly crying out for that day as they yell, Hosanna, save us. And so this morning, I want to look at this passage of Scripture again of how this event is recorded here in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her. 
Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. He will know what to do. Verse 4, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, which was a Hebrew expression that also means, save us, which was an exclamation of uh, of praise, Hosanna. To the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so three things that... that I think that we can focus on here that are important to us today. And, and the first is this. I want to talk a little bit more about this triumphal entry. What is, what was a triumphal entry? Well, the, the Roman triumphal entry and procession, you see, it was one of the highest honors that could be bestowed or, or, or given to someone. It was often reserved for emperors and kings and, and generals who were famous and uh, had won many battles in, in the Roman Empire. It was very common. It was a processional. You could think of it more like uh, in our day and age today, uh, a parade that you might go to, the the county fair parade. But it, it was a processional into the city that would have looked something like this. At the front of the processional, you see it would have been led by the government officials. At the front of the processional would have been the police cars, the fire engines, the mayor and all that, right? All right, probably they didn't have sirens and flashing lights back then, but the procession would begin with government officials and government leaders. Following these officials would have come a display of animals. These would have been sacrificial animals that, uh, like the, the livestock show, okay, uh, kind of like that. They would have been displaying these in the parade, in the processional. These would have been sacrificial animals that would have been used to make sacrifices in the temples of Roman gods. It was common uh, in that time and in that culture. Following these sacrificial animals that would come through in this procession would have come the person or persons of honor in the procession, a, a war hero or victorious king. And this person would usually be riding a horse or riding in a chariot. They would have been draped in purple robes or wrapped in purple linens. Following the war hero would come 
the spoils of war, the things that uh, in the battle that they had won, the things that they had taken after they won the battle, they would have gone in and taken all the valuable items, the gold and the silver and anything of monetary value, even, even livestock and things like that. And so following this great general or king or whatever would be the spoils of war that would be following in uh, behind him to show what he had taken in his victory. And then following the, the spoils that would be on display there in the parade would be uh, the captives that they had taken captive in the battle or, or, or in the war, any that might have survived, and they would have been shackled and they would have been struggling to make their way uh, through uh, the town uh, in this procession that was going along there. And, and you see, uh, th- this entered into the city, uh, normally followed by a great festival that they would be having that week. There would be a festival, there would be singing, there would be dancing, there would be George Strait concerts, there would be all kinds of things going on there that was awesome. Uh, they, they would be spreading like uh, cloaks and the palm branches and even rose flower petals on the... the uh, path there that they would be traveling traveling this path would have been cleaned it would have been prepared ahead of time and people would have been gathered on both sides of the path waiting anxiously for the honoree and who was coming in the procession the reason that I give you these details this morning, and I feel like that they're uh, important that we understand what a triumphal uh, entry is, is for us to understand a little bit better exactly what is taking place here as Jesus enters. Because this processional, Jesus' triumphal entry, you see, it wasn't into uh, Rome, but instead his entry was into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the location of the temple. It was the heart, if you will, of the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. And they had gathered there for this great festival as Jews to celebrate Passover. Jesus obviously wasn't making his entry into the city there as a a victor of war. But instead, he comes as one who will be killed. One who is coming to die, illustrating and making an example to others that true victory does not come through violence. True victory does not come through war, but instead it comes through humility and personal sacrifice. Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem uh, that day does mirror in some ways uh, the, the Roman ones that they would have been familiar with. It takes place at the beginning of the festival. Again, the festival that observed Passover. And Passover, for those of you that understand what that is about and have learned it in the Old Testament, knows that the Passover is not about war. Instead, it's about remembering God's goodness and God's faithfulness and the way that God had spared the life of His people and freed them from slavery and oppressive Egyptian rule. The Roman triumphal festivals would include bringing sacrifices to the Roman gods in those temples. But Jesus, I want you to think about it, He's also bringing an offering of sacrifice to the temple that day, but the offering is Himself. 
instead of a horse and chariot. Jesus rides in on a donkey, which was a symbol of humility. You see, donkeys are are, are pack animals. They're work animals. They're not war animals. They were instead a symbol of peace. The second thing that I want to point out here is this, and that's Jesus in the temple as He enters the temple. And even though Jesus entering the temple isn't a part of the text that we've looked at here this morning, it's an important part of the triumphal entry that we are focused on today. Many of us are familiar with the story of Jesus uh, going into the temple at the end of that processional. And as he enters the temple there, he overturned tables. Do you remember that? He goes into the temple and he overturns tables, running people out and scolding them for doing wrong. It's this story where we often read it and we often focus on the fact that Jesus is angry. And that's displayed by his actions that are taking place there that day. But the text here in Mark, if you continue to, or in Matthew, uh, if you continue to read on there, it seems to indicate something else that I, I just want to point out and I want us to think about today. Let's look at it real quick here. Verse 12 says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. But, but here's the deal. And, and here's what we need to know and understand in context of this story. This was common. This was accepted practice in the temple and on the temple grounds. It would have been normal for people to be on the temple grounds and to sell animals to be sacrificed in the temple. Because people had traveled for many, many miles to come to the Passover. They couldn't be burdened with trying to bring a a sacrificial animal along with them and and, and keeping it alive and and, and keeping it unblemished and keeping all the rules that they had to keep. And it would have just was easier for them to come to the festival, go to the temple grounds and buy uh, their sacrificial animal there. Many out-of-town guests would have needed this animal to sacrifice. And so this was just common. This was something that took place all the time. It was an acceptable practice there. But don't miss this. Don't miss what Jesus is doing here in this moment. He's entering the temple and He's making a statement. Right? And what what He does when He walks in and He overturns these tables, right? He's stopping the sale of sacrifices. That's what he's doing. He's stopping the sale of these sacrifices, and he's freeing those animals and those doves or whatever that might have been there. He's doing this as a statement about himself and who he is, about how he had come to be the sacrifice. He had come. That gives me chills. I was telling Lynette the other day, I said, I've never thought about this like this before. And I was telling her about it. And I said, just gave me chill bumps talking about it. He was making a point to say, I have come as the ultimate sacrifice. You don't need all this anymore. You don't need these doves. You don't need these pigeons. You don't need a, a perfect lamb. I have come as the spotless, most perfect lamb. As your sacrifice, there's not a need for this to happen in the temple anymore. He's making a statement about 
Himself. You see, Jesus came to do away with so many things. He came to, uh, to do away with all of this sacrifice business because Jesus came to welcome everyone. Not just the ones who offered sacrifice and followed all the rules right. Jesus came so that all might be saved. So that all might be forgiven of their sins. And that excluded no one. Everyone was free to accept the salvation that He came to offer. He came so that mercy and grace mattered more than sacrifices. Mercy and grace mattered more than their rules. Mercy and grace mattered more than their rituals. And then the third thing this morning that we can take away from this, pretty good, I had three points, I'm already number three. Some of you are like, yeah, buddy, going to be at Mojo's early. Third thing this morning that we can take away from this is that Jesus was a different kind of Messiah. He was not what they were expecting. You see, the Jewish people, they were looking for a Messiah. They had been promised. They knew. They had been well-versed in the fact that a Messiah one day would come. But you know what? They were looking for a Messiah that fit their mold. They were looking for a Messiah that fit their description. They wanted Him to come in the way that they wanted Him to come. You see, you can tell this by this triumphant entry that they're giving Him as He enters the city there. They were expecting the Messiah to be a great political leader. They were expecting the Messiah maybe to be a great general, to lead this great war effort. They expected Him to be a victorious and strong and bold war hero. Someone that would come in and rise up and overthrow this Roman government that had tormented them for so very long. And most likely do that in violent ways. Taking their lives. They were looking for their own hero. Their own war hero. You see, they, they wanted freedom. But that kind of freedom that they wanted, the kind of freedom that they wanted from the government, from this political system, that kind of freedom they thought they wanted, friends, would only be temporary. It would only be temporary until the next war was won or lost, right? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem that day, many of them thought, this is it. He is here. We're about to kick some tail, right? I mean, that's what they're thinking. That's why they're cheering, that's why they're saying, Hosanna, save us, because they were expecting this Messiah that would come in and literally save them from the government and save them from these Romans. This is their moment. And this one that is entering that they had heard great stories and great reports about who even proclaimed himself to be the Messiah was coming into Jerusalem at Passover for the festival. It's about to go down. And so what did they do? They gave him a hero's welcome. They gave him a hero's welcome. But here's the deal, friend. Instead of Jesus coming in to be the hero that they wanted, Jesus came and disrupted their lives. He disrupted the way they thought. He disrupted the way that they worshipped. 
He disrupted the things that they did. He came and brought, I almost said destruction, but disruption, if you will, to their religious systems and their faith. And what Jesus would say and what Jesus would do was not what they expected. It wasn't even what they wanted. Jesus would call out their acts of injustice against others. He would call them out for looking down their nose at another type of people or another class of people. And He would call them out for that. Jesus would call them out for abusing the poor. You see, because they would, they would look at the poor and, and they would push them to the side. The poor wouldn't be allowed in the temple. The poor wouldn't be allowed. They couldn't afford to buy a sacrifice, so they would not be allowed. And, and the poor would be pushed aside as outcasts because by all means, you wouldn't be poor if you'd just get a job. And so they excluded them. And Jesus came and called them out for abusing the poor and excluding them and not helping them. He came and He called them out for denying the less fortunate, denying those that were vulnerable the opportunity to be able to come and worship. Jesus came and He healed people. He helped people who were labeled as outsiders. Jesus interacted with the unclean. Jesus went places that he wasn't supposed to go. He said things he wasn't supposed to say. He was a Messiah that they did not want. Because he, instead of praising them for their efforts and praising them for how religious they are and praising them for how they followed all the rules instead of Jesus spending time with them and smoozing with them, Jesus was out spending time with the lame, the poor, the sick, the needy. But like the passage that we read earlier in Sage's dedication a few minutes ago, you know what? They didn't recognize this Messiah because it wasn't what they wanted or what they had in their mind. But you know who did recognize Jesus and what He came to bring? Children. The children did. The children wanted to come to Him. And and, and they came. They, They recognized Jesus for who He was and what He was doing. And you know what He did? He welcomed them into His presence. You see, His rebuke wasn't for the children. It wasn't for the ones who saw Him for who He was. His rebuke was for the religious people, the religious leaders who had totally missed the point. And friends, here's the deal. It's easy to sit back and read this in hindsight and blame them. Point our fingers at them and go, oh, bad little religious people. Y'all missed it. You got it all wrong. Yada, yada, yada. It's easy for us to rebuke these religious leaders but here's the deal you see sometimes we miss the point too sadly sometimes we miss the point 
We look for Jesus to come in a particular way or to support a particular agenda. A lot of folks think today that Jesus is a white American. That's the Jesus that they have created in their mind, in their life, and in their lifestyle. I want to give you just an example that I had to ask myself on several occasions because I I think I've been guilty of this and I'm not pointing out anyone else other than my own flaws in my own life but do sometimes does our politics align with Jesus and what he taught and what he did does my political leanings and the way that I politically think do, do they line up with Jesus or do I try to align Jesus with my politics? I think that's a question that we could all ask ourselves. And in more areas than just politics. Do we exclude certain people? Are certain people excluded? Do we turn away from certain people? Do we ignore certain people? Do we criticize and condemn certain people have we placed any obstacles in the way for certain types of people as it pertains to our worship let me ask it like this who would we not want to be in here today with us worshiping if anybody comes to mind jesus wants to disrupt our way of thinking Do we exclude certain people? Do we tend to define who is allowed in and who is not allowed in? Do we try to silence the voices of those that we look down on? Do we try to silence the voices of those that we disagree with? And you know what I see is often the way we try to silence the voices of those that we disagree with, the way we do that is by being louder than they are. If we'll just yell a little louder, we will drown them out. Maybe Jesus would want us to have some training classes in the church on how to listen. Here's the deal, church. Jesus didn't come for the status quo. He didn't. He didn't come for the status quo. Not only did He come to disrupt the lives of the religious on that day, but you see, He wants to disrupt our lives too. (laughs) He wants to disrupt our lives. He wants us to be uncomfortable. He wants us to be formed into the image of Christ instead of forming Christ into the image that we want Him to be. Jesus came so that we would join Him in the work that He began. He called it the kingdom of heaven. That was the work that that He began. You see, uh, Jesus wanted to do so much more in kingdom work than just free people from a government. 
He wanted to do so much more in this kingdom of heaven work than just to free people from uh, an oppressive environment or regime. You see, he wanted to elevate the lowly. And he wanted to humble those who had been elevated. Why? In order to create a kingdom where everyone would be considered equal at the foot of the cross that he was about to go on. He wanted to bring peace, but he didn't want the kind of peace that the people wanted. See, they wanted political peace and government peace and peace in the valley. Jesus came and he wanted to bring true and everlasting peace. Not just a peace that would last for a little while, but a peace that would last for all of eternity. Friends, that's what he brought with him when he came to this earth. He brought the kingdom of God. He brought the kingdom of heaven with him. And friends, the kingdom of God that he brought with him some 2,000 years ago is still at work today. It's still here. The kingdom of heaven is on this earth. The kingdom of God is here. It's still at work. And oh, by the way, it's still coming. Explain it. I don't know. It's here, but it's still coming. The question is, will we join kingdom work? Will we join that kingdom work? Will we accept this call? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, He wasn't coming to free the oppressed uh, through violence. He came to do it how? By being humble, extending love, extending grace, and extending mercy. And he challenged this religious idea of being exclusive, and instead he invited all people to be a part of the kingdom. All people to be a part of the kingdom of God. It wasn't about coming to the temple. It wasn't about a specific location. It wasn't about a specific rule book that you have got to follow. It was about this kingdom of God that was all-inclusive. It was all-loving. It was just and it was merciful. That's this kingdom. And it's a grace-filled kingdom of God. A grace-filled kingdom of God that we get to. We get to participate in that today. We get to be a part of it. And we get to participate in it. And so today, as, as we close and we enter into this Holy Week, my prayer is that we will look for where Jesus is at work building His kingdom. That we will look for and join Jesus in those places that probably going to disrupt your life. It's probably going to disrupt your schedule. Probably going to disrupt your Facebook messages. Will we look for Jesus and join Him in places that will disrupt our lives? That like Jesus, we will look for ways to humbly extend mercy and grace to others who don't deserve it. 
during this Lent season, we've been talking about confronting our sin. That's, it's what this is all about today. May we confront our sin and may we repent of the times that we have excluded other people. God, forgive us for that. When we may have excluded someone because of their race, their ethnicity, their, their financial value, their educational level, their smell, whatever it may be. May God forgive us for excluding anyone that He has invited to be a part of the kingdom of God. And He has invited them all. May we embrace the kingdom of heaven. May we embrace the kingdom of God that Jesus brought to the, this earth. And may His church, not just the Greenbrier Church of Nazarene, but may His church look for ways to participate in the kingdom of God right now. Even as we wait on its fulfillment when He comes back again. Because just like they had been promised there was a Messiah coming the first time, there's another promise in the same book that promises He's coming again. He's coming a second time. And see, a lot of us have a picture, we have an image, we have a plan. We got it all figured out in our smart little brains exactly what that's going to look like and who's going to be included and who's not going to be included. Friends, my prayer today is that as we're waiting on Jesus to fulfill the finality of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, that He'll make us uncomfortable with ourselves and the way we think and the way that we look at others and so my prayer for me my prayer for you guys my prayer for our church is that we would be a church maybe we'll be different I don't know maybe we'll be called weird maybe they'll call us holy rollers thank goodness maybe they'll call us something I don't know I just want to be called faithful I just want to be called a kingdom worker, a kingdom builder. I want to be one who's part of the work that Jesus is doing right now on this earth. And that's going to make some folks uncomfortable. It's going to make some of you uncomfortable, and you're not going to want to be around me. <laughs> but let's be people of love. Let's be people of mercy. Let's be people of grace. And let's be people of peace because this, my friends, is the kingdom of God that Jesus brought. And it's in this week we focus on His life, His death, and His burial. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to us as a church, as the body of Christ? I pray this week you'll be disruptive in your schedule to think about these things and exactly what he did for you and what that means for you and how you are to live your life my prayer and you're going to hate me for this is that this week is a disruptful week for you and we're going to come back Sunday We're going to celebrate. Not a dead king. 
Not a dead Savior, but a Christ who is very much alive and at work right now. The kingdom of heaven is here. Are you joining in it and the work that's to be done in it? This morning we're going to close with the time of prayer. And again, these altars are open and I invite anyone that would like to come and pray to come and pray this morning. Again, maybe you have a situation, a decision. I, I don't know what it may be, but maybe you just feel like a good place for you to be this morning would be to go to the altar and pray. Maybe you would like to come and, and pray for some of the people in our church that are going through very difficult times right now. Continue to pray for Richard and, and Deborah and the family. That God would just be with them in a very special way in the days ahead. Continue to pray for our friend Randy. It's getting stronger day by day, but we're trusting God for complete and absolute healing. Continue to pray for June Carter as she approaches surgery this week, that the doctors would be given wisdom and that God would bring complete healing to her body as well. And then the tornado victims that I mentioned earlier, so many people are in need right now. So let's pray for them and the churches that are trying to minister to those people today. Would you come as we close in prayer together this morning? Dear God, this morning, we do want to thank you for another day that you've given us. And I think about it every single day, that every day that I've been given is a gift from you. And God, I pray that you continue to convict my heart each and every day that you give me to ask, what am I doing with this gift? What am I doing with this day to continue and to build the kingdom of heaven here on this earth? God, I pray that you will forgive me where I have been guilty of some of these things that we've talked about this morning, and I know that I have. I am first in line to say it is easier to exclude people than it is to include them. So God, forgive me when I have failed doing your kingdom work and extending the invitation to all people. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that helps us because you knew us and you knew that we needed help in doing this. We can't in our own strength, in our own power, live kingdom lives out on this earth without some help. You've sent us a helper. So I pray this week that the Holy Spirit would lead us, would guide us, would use us, empower us, disrupt us, 
almost afraid to pray that. But God, I know that's what you want to do. I thank you for your love and the love that has been shown to all of humanity, every single one of us, not just us in this sanctuary, every single one of us on this earth. You sent your son to die for so that they might know you, be in relationship with you, and spend eternity with you. If there's anyone here today that has never accepted you and committed their life to you and surrendered their plan and their will for their life to you, I pray that today would be a day that they would do that. That it would completely change the way they enter this holy week of approaching Easter. They'd have a better understanding of the love that you have for them. So if there's somebody here today or maybe even listening online that's not done that, I pray that today would be a great day for them and for those in heaven that will celebrate that. God, continue to use us for your good and your glory. Find us faithful. As we go out from this place, we're representatives of the one true God. And I pray that that's exactly who we would be, as beautiful representatives of who you are and what you've done. And we've got just a little snapshot this morning of what that looks like. God, I pray for these in our church that are hurting and struggling and going through difficult times. Um, Continue to pray for Richard, that you would just draw him close. Be with the family as they gather there and know that they're spending these final days, hours, who knows, with this man that so many people love. I pray that that uh, living room where he lays would be a sanctuary filled with your presence. So strong and so powerful that anyone that walks into that room would sense that you are there. God, be with Randy and be with June as they continue to fight and they continue to face treatments and surgeries and just this battle with cancer so many people are going through right now and I know there's more in our church but this week I just pray that you'd be with June and Randy in a very special way thankful for doctors and nurses that you use all the time for your good for your work so give them wisdom, give them direction, guide them but God our prayer as their friends and their church family is that you would do what only you can do And that's bring absolute and total healing to their lives. God, I pray for the tornado victims. And it's, we've been hit hard here in Arkansas. And not just here, but there are reports all over this nation of severe storms taking lives and tearing down homes and businesses and places of worship. And God, some... Some here today have been through a similar experience, and some of us haven't. So, 
So, God, we don't know really how to pray other than just help them. Help them. Send them people. Send them resources. Send them encouragement. Send them whatever they need to get through this day today. And then do it again tomorrow. God, most of all, we pray that you would be known. The power of God would be known. Where disaster is hit. That you can do the work that you want to do in those situations. God, we love you today. And again, I thank you for your awesome love for us. And the reminder that you've given us of that today. Through this powerful passage of scripture as we considered what you went through. Thank you for loving me. Forgive me where I fail you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Would you stand with us this morning as we're dismissed with a word of benediction? And I ask you to join me there on your screen this morning. Read with me. Lord, let us go out into the world in peace and dedicated to your service. Let us hold tightly to that which is good, supporting the weak, helping the needy, and honoring all people. May the strength of God sustain us. May the power of God preserve us. May the hands of God protect us. May the way of God direct us. May the love of God go with us this day and forever. Amen and amen. God bless you all. I love you so much.